Our theme verse for this series, it comes from Matthew chapter five, and I'm gonna read verse 14 and 15, and then you're gonna read verse 16 when we get to it. Are you ready? Here we go. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives, gives light to everyone in the house. Together? In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Together, we're reminded that heroes, they're ordinary people who become heroes by doing extraordinary things, or, and sometimes they're just choosing to do the right thing, is what we've talked about. Heroes, ordinary people who become heroes by, by doing the right thing that actually makes a difference. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to make a difference. How about you? Today we're gonna hear from today's story, not only, not just one hero, but multiple heroes that come from this story in Judges. We're gonna hear about empowered heroes who do the wise thing, the difficult thing, the surprising thing to save the day. And I believe today's passage, in fact, all of scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that comes from 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17. We want our good deeds, our good works, to bring glory to God he wants our light to shine in a way that benefits others, and so he equips us for those good works. And, and how does he equip us? Well, that scripture says it's through the word of God, through scripture. So this story in scripture today isn't just a story. It's an equipping. It's an opportunity to be equipped. So I want to answer this big question today, and it says, how do we as people of faith bring necessary change? How do we people... How do we as people of faith bring necessary change to our culture, to circumstances, to difficult obstacles you may be facing? There's multiple levels how this applies to us today. And so let's start with this as a church. How do we as a church, how do we discern God's right next steps and the, the necessary changes needed to see those good things come to fruition? As educators, medical professionals, business people, thought leaders, how do you work day in and day night within systems that are sometimes challenging to your faith? Is it possible to bring change to a broken culture? I, I believe it is. In your personal life, perhaps you're facing a, an obstacle or a crisis as a family, and how do you bring change and, and even positive leadership while going through that crisis? These are all big questions, aren't they? For a Sunday morning, that's for sure. So we're gonna need a big hero for some big questions. And so I thought we could use more than one hero, so we're gonna go to the book of Judges. And I don't think I've preached from Judges in a very long time, but if you have it, you could look it up right now and we're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to land on chapter four. So let me give you a little bit of context. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, there were people, not me, but there were people who, when they were trying to understand a book, they'd go to the back of the book. 
to find out what happened first or to find like a summary of what the purpose of the book was. And then they might go back and read from the beginning. So we're gonna, we're gonna cheat a little today. We're gonna go all the way back to Judges chapter 21, verse 25 to give us the context of Judges. And it says this, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Whew. When I was a, a, a kid, I remember I was the oldest of three of the, uh, the three of us, and um, and I remember. Forgive me if I repeat stories already. I've only been here six months, but here we go. I remember as a kid um, being put in charge at a, at a, not a too young age, but at a responsible age of, for my sisters because my parents had to go out somewhere. And I remember it was in that moment that no, no chance did my sisters think that I was worthy of being in charge. And so everyone did as they saw fit in the house. You know what I'm talking about, those moments? <laughs> Everyone saw what did was they saw fit because no one was really in charge. And this is the case for Israel. They had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. So let's jump back to Judges chapter two, to the beginning. It puts us in this context that Joshua, he has had dismissed the Israelites. Uh, Pastor Jesse spoke about Joshua a few weeks ago. They went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. Verse seven says, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But then Joshua, the servant of the Lord, he dies at the age of 110. And the scripture shows us, and we'll see it on the screen there, that after that whole generation had been gathered up to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals and they they forsook the Lord. And this is what, what created this chaos in the life of Israel is that everyone was doing as they saw fit. They forgot that God had brought them out of Egypt. They forgot all the miracles that God had done in the past. And suddenly, they're in a spot where the Lord gives them over to the surrounding Canaanites and those who would oppress them. And verse 16 says, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders And yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's command. And verse 18 says this, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. But when the judge would die, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors following other gods, serving and worshiping them. There's this cyclical pattern that's happening in the life of God's people and it's really chaotic, it's barbaric in many ways. So God, in his grace, he raised up leaders for them. They were called judges. Now just understand this, when I think of judges, I kind of think of Well, put up that funny picture that I picked there. I I think of a judge, this is what I picture together. Picture of a judge that looks like someone with a gavel, right? Who's calling the shots, saying what's right and wrong, and 
A judge is one who would help them make, yes, judicial decisions and give governing leadership to the tribes. But more than that, they were spiritual warriors, to be honest, who pushed back the darkness and brought victories to the people of God. I don't know about you, but I think the world could use a few less judges and a few more spiritual warriors. Amen? There's a good amen there. Amen? I mean, Jesus, he came and he just flipped everything upside down to what we thought would be human nature, what we thought would be the way of the kingdom, how to bring in the kingdom. And he said these words, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Comes from Luke 6, 37. So we have this time when our framework might look at them as judges only, those who discerned right and wrong, which was needed because remember, they had no leader. They had no king. But what we picture it as is that they were given by God mighty spiritual warriors on his behalf. So today we're going to look to chapter 4 of Judges. And we're going to talk a little bit about one of the first heroes. What, one that you would think is the most obvious hero. So we'll start with the most obvious first. Deborah, the prophetess who is called a judge. So let's turn in our Bibles with you. Uh, Judges chapter 4. We read the narrative of the book of Judges and we see these very imperfect people, but nonetheless, they're leaders of Israel. They're, they're actually described as mighty warriors. Othniel is talked about. Ethud, or Ehud, excuse me, uh, Shamgar. These are three mighty warriors who did these great things. They're all judges put in place by God. And then we have Judges 4 and it says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, excuse me, the commander of his army was based in Harosheth Hegelim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Someone say 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Labadoth was leading Israel at the time. And she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided as their judge. Israel, they had no king, but Yahweh was their God. It should have been enough that they had the God who had brought them out of Egypt. It should have been enough, but they needed leadership in the flesh. And perhaps this was why Jesus is also referred to as the judge one day, because he, was, he is given, he comes so that he can come in the flesh to bring justice and wisdom. And so they have their God, but they need in the flesh leadership. And he appoints this judge, Deborah. And here's Deborah, the fourth judge appointed by God, not by men, who gives wisdom and settles disputes among the people. But she has an even greater gift. This is what I love about Deborah. She's not 
known just as a mighty warrior. She's a prophetess. She hears from God supernaturally. She's uh, appointed, but she leads the people not by might alone, although she could be said to have had strategic insight into the military, even the fact of who she calls to her side. She is a strategist. She has wisdom. She's supernaturally gifted. And she leads from a place of strength, and that strength is Deborah's spiritual gifting. And as, she judge, as judge, she shows wisdom and prophetic insight into God's strategies for her tribes. Can I encourage you, if you're leading a tribe today, which is very possible you are, if you're leading a tribe today, understand this, whether it be on the schoolyard or whether it be at your dinner table or around a boardroom, or with your organization or ministry, understand this, that God's reminder to you today is don't do it in your own strength. Don't do it in your own power. If there are changes that are needed in your circumstances, you need to bring then you need to bring them to your place of influence. Start first and always from a place of prayer. And if God has empowered you to lead, whether it be in your household or lead in the workplace, do so with the supernatural empowerment of God. We need to stop trying to do it in our own strength, don't we? We depend a lot on our natural giftings, on the way that we're wired, the way that God's uh, helped use those things in the past, and that's all good, and it's part of God's plan to equip what he's already started in us But eventually it all falls short. Ask for his spiritual giftings and see how far that will take you to bring change in the lives of those in your tribe, those you are influencing, your friend group, your children, your coworkers. Your giftingness, your giftedness will fall short, but the supernatural always delivers, amen? Supernatural always delivers. When I was in, in school, I wasn't super athletic. I helped, I played a little bit of volleyball, a little bit of basketball, and I was really more into music and things of that nature, but uh, there's one thing that I fell into, and it was that I was able to do high jump. I think it was because nobody else in my age group could do high jump. <laughs> I wasn't even that tall, and, uh, but I, I, I liked a good challenge. I liked it when they kept raising the bar. And I'd say, could I, could I jump that bar? I don't know, let's try. And one of the things is that the bar would get higher and higher and then they, sometimes they wouldn't tell you what the bar was at just so that you would just, you would just go for it. Just go for it, even though it's higher. But when you did, if you did fall short, if you came up to that bar and you couldn't make it the first time, then you'd usually go back and you'd circle around and you'd think of another strategy. You'd come from a different angle as you came in and see if that would work to lift yourself up, arch your back a certain way and fall on the wonderful comfy mat on the other side. But some bars are just too high to overcome in our own strength. And some of you today, I just want to applaud you for the courage to come up to the front and ask for prayer regarding healing in your body today. Because there's some bars that are too high to overcome in your own strength. 
all the positive thinking, all the, the, the doctor's understanding and the reports and, and all of the research you're doing, all of those things, they can only go so far. But the Lord, with the Lord's help, with spiritual empowerment, you're able to go far beyond what is possible in the human realm. Amen. Amen. I think of this time when the disciples were sent out by twos and they were sent out to, to bring healing and cast out demons and Jesus said, you know, freely, you've received, freely give and I still believe that's, that's available for us today. We freely received all that we can through the spirit of God, through salvation and, and we are able to freely give whether that means of our time or whether it means to give of our, our giftings to others but We've received salvation and, and they were going out to do this and it was being manifested in different ways. People were being able to be delivered and freed from their sicknesses and from demonic. But the disciples came back after this one time that they were out and they were unsuccessful. And Jesus told them that this type, this type of demonic, this type would not be able to be overcome without prayer and fasting. I don't know about you, but I think if prayer time apart with God was good enough for Jesus and his ministry and all that Je who Jesus was and is, he took time apart to be with Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if the bar keeps feeling too high, take time apart. I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone else. Take time apart. Pray fast. Take that thing to the Lord and understand that in his timing, in his will, in his way, you will overcome. Grab hold of the supernatural. Stop depending on your own strength to get through. The second hero today which some of you might think, oh, I know this story. This guy's not the hero. He is still a hero. It's the hesitant warrior, Barak. This is hero number two. Deborah, in her wisdom, called for the best military warrior with a track record of success to lead the charge for God's people. So let's go back to the text. Judges chapter four, verse six says this. Deborah sent for Barak, son of... Oh, now you're going to have to forgive me because there's so many names. <laughs> she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Gadesh and Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men, 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor and I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, the enemy, with his chariots and his troops to the Gishon River and to give him into your hands. This is the prophetic word that, that Deborah has received for the people of God, that God's going to deliver them, that God is going to protect them. And in God's strategy and with her wisdom, she calls in the best mighty warrior. And in some, uh, some scriptures, some uh, understanding of scripture, they would say that Barak is actually also a judge. Who knows? Maybe that's just a complementarian thing. I'm not sure. But it's still, the point being is that he is known as a mighty warrior. She chooses him to come alongside and together they are going to overcome because she gets the word. He's going to live it out and work it out and they're going to overcome. And here's what happens in verse eight. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I ain't going. 
I just want to say something about Deborah's um, significance. That she must be so charismatic, so understood by the people in their community to have the Spirit of God resting on her. That this mighty warrior who has all the tools, all the experience, um, that he says, I'll go, but only if you go with me. You've got the presence of God. I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Verse 9, certainly I will go with you, Deborah said. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Gadish, and there Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went under his command, and Deborah also went up with him. Deborah also goes up with him. Do you know what? I called him the hesitant hero because he is just very much like any of us. <laughs> I think he's probably a very practical man, Barack, because he knows how evil, how violent this army really is. He understands that in their position, that they could be uh, annihilated, that things could go wrong, but he trusts that God's calling them, but he's afraid. And each of us comes to moments in our, each of us come to a moment in our life when we say, we can't do this in our own strength, God. We need you, God. And I think that the best position I can be in and the best position you can be in is the one that forces us on our face before the Lord. Because then I know, then I know he will show himself supernaturally strong. It's this in humility where we kneel before the Lord and we say, God, it's you who can make a way. It's you who empowers us. And how do I know that this is the way that God often works? Well, I know it from experience. I know it from, from biblical context. But I, I know it from this, that in our weakness, he shows up, uh, up. Because we all have weaknesses that prevent us from being perfectly gifted. And so Paul, in the New Testament... He talks about this. He's trying to defend himself. He's trying to say what makes him um, an ap apostle. He's, he's saying what makes him uh, a worthy leader to be followed. And he, he starts going through his list. But then he, he says, I'm, I'm going to stop in order to keep me from being conceited. I, he said, the Lord actually also gave me this thorn in my flesh. And he becomes very vulnerable in scripture here. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, Paul says. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. And here's what I like about Barak. 
His trust in Deborah is pretty extreme. His trust in God through Deborah is, is also very honorable. But what I like is that he is known as a hero of the faith because somehow, even in the midst of his weaknesses, his hesitancy, he is able to come to victory for the people of Israel. Do you know that in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this list of all these heroes of faith? You can go there, and some of those have been picked as we've gone through our different heroes study together. But Hebrews 11, verse 32, uh, the writer says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about, and he goes through this list, Gideon, who is also a judge, Barak, which is why we're like, is he a judge? Samson, a judge, and Jephna, about David and Samuel and the prophets, and who through faith conquered kingdoms, he's listing all of their, the things they've done, who've conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Listen to this part. Whose weakness was turned to strength and became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Man, some might say that Barak was showing respect to his leader, Deborah, by saying he would only go if she was leading, but Hebrews 11 confirms it. It was a weakness to be hesitant in following after God's will for his people. It was a weakness. But the great part is, is that God was victorious in the end. Hesitancy is only a sign of weakness if it's rooted in misplaced fear. Hesitancy can stop you from pulling out in front of a car. That's a good hesitancy, right? <laughs> yes. Hesitancy can stop you from making a questionable decision, moving too fast in a relationship. Uh, you could quitting your job before it's time. Hesitancy can be a a gift, but it can be a curse if it's rooted in fear or a need to control the situation. But praise be to God. Thankful Jesus is patient with us, even in our fears. He's patient with you. He's patient when your fears overtake you. Like Barak, we can say in our fear, I... I will not move forward in the battle without the presence of the Lord going with me. But here's the thing that's different about Barak and you and I, is that as believers in Jesus, we have the presence of God in us. It's the presence of God, the spirit in, within us saying yes and amen to the things of the Lord that can quicken our ability to say yes and no at the right times. I really think that needs to sink into our hearts. It needs to sink into my heart too, that God is speaking to each of us about his will, and as long as it's according to his will, his will that's shown through the scripture, it's not against scripture, that we can in unison make decisions that are great for the kingdom, that are great for the, this community, that are great for our church, because the spirit of God tells us when to move forward together collectively. 
Now let's pull it down to individual lives and hearts. If you are in a situation in your family, and I know this as a parent, where you can get so paralyzed whether you're making the right decision for your household that it stops you from moving forward. I'm going to share something with you, but you've got to promise not to say it to anyone else outside this room. Can you do that? Last week, I was coming home from youth group two weeks ago. And there's times when we were thinking about moving to Peterborough and taking our family and uprooting them, and, and we were thinking, man, that's, that's a big move. Got a kid going into grade eight, a kid going into college. How are they going to respond? And I had a friend who said, what's right for you and your, your husband during this season is right for your kids. It's going to all work out. Trust him. And we told our kids, when our oldest daughter said, how could you do that to Michaela? She's going into grade eight. You're uprooting her and moving. I'm like, it's a, we, we just believe that God wants us to do it. It's we're following God's leading for our life two weeks ago on a Wednesday night. Picking up Michaela because there's like an after party at McDonald's or Don's, I guess it's called. <laughs> and so I go to Don's and I pick up our youngest. And she says on the way home, the parents who are in ministry here, you're just going to know how this is going to play out on a mom's heart. She says, Mom, I'm so glad you chose to bring us to Calvary. What? I've only been here two months, and you've already won her over. <laughs> but you haven't just won her over. It's the fact the Spirit of God is saying yes to her. Yes, she goes, I'm learning so much. I'm, I'm loving to be able to worship. I'm loving connecting with other people of all different ages who love Jesus. And my friends at youth are becoming tighter than my friends at school. And she's She's saying yes, because the Spirit of God resides in here. Let me remind you that when our hesitancy is, in a, is, is based out of fear and it paralyzes us, then we miss out on the opportunity of seeing what happens when we step out in faith. And we miss out on seeing what happens when the Holy Spirit says yes to others around us because of our act of faith. Amen? God wants to remind you today. That when you receive the Lord, the Holy Spirit moves within you. And he allows you to say yes and amen to the things of the Lord and move forward in what he has for your life. You can bring change to your family. You can bring change to your community. Because when you're like, is this right? Something feels wrong in this situation. I think I need to bring the light into the darkness, right? In, this, in the way that is being led by the Holy Spirit. You can step into that. You don't need to check with the pastor to make sure it's okay. No, you can step into sharing your faith with someone. You can step into praying for healing for someone. Because the Spirit of God resides in you. And he's equipping you in Jesus' name. Don't let fear become the final narrative of your life. And Barack, the hesitant leader, he didn't allow fear to stop him from still going out and fighting the battle. He just had a little hiccup of hesitancy along the way. And God used him in mighty ways. Listen up. I didn't tell you this at the beginning, but I planned from the, from the start that this is a part one of part two of this part of the Heroes of the Faith story. Some of you are like, we're going to be here till supper. 
The story of Deborah is a good one. It's a long one. But I want you to think about the fact that there are different aspects of heroism in Scripture, but also in your life. That you can be a hero even if you're hesitant. You can be a hero out of the giftings God gives you if you lean into those giftings and not do it in your own strength. And sometimes you can be a hero in an unsuspecting way, which is what we're going to hear about next week. The unsuspected hero. The one who would actually be given the credit for the victory for Israel. And we have a few more surprises that will go with that as well. So would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team. They're going to close us out in a song today. Thank you for sticking with us in our te- my teaching mode today. And my prayer is that even as we sow these seeds, that you would go into the scriptures and you'd read about, in Judges, read about what it was like for people to live in a time when they had no king. One thing that I wrote down that I want to make sure I say before we close is that people will forever miss the mark when they misplace Jesus as the king. If you're wondering why cultures at times can be so messed up, so far removed from what you understand to be God's plan for humanity, understand they're living as one with no king. Pray they would see Messiah, Jesus, the king. Pray that they would understand that his love is for uh, those who extend mercy. They will receive mercy. Remember the fact that God has a plan and you're part of that plan as heroes of the faith to bring the good news of Jesus to those who you're in contact with in your tribe in your circle of influence, in the place where God's called you to lead. May he empower you by your spirit today and in the weeks to come as you say yes to what he has for you. In Jesus' name, amen.